Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's August 14th, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, TikTok launches fulfillment by TikTok in the United Kingdom. Walmart expands its in-store advertising network. UPS Q2 2023 earnings disappoint. Big Commerce reports Q2 2023 earnings. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first in our shopping cart full of news, TikTok launches Fulfillment by TikTok in the United Kingdom. Well, it's here, folks. Fulfillment by TikTok, or FBT, has arrived in the UK, and it seems more targeted right now at brands and creators that need help keeping up with their logistics. In some ways, the same way that Shopify talks about the ability for its platform to handle viral drops, TikTok is talking about giving that same capability to influencers so that they can grow without worry. Here's how it's being positioned. TikTok manages the entire fulfillment process, storage, pick, pack, and ship. It's not an all or nothing situation, meaning sellers can ship from multiple warehouses as well. There are no marketing benefits mentioned in the announcement which in my mind means that fulfillment by TikTok is not advantaged in the overall algorithm. Same-day fulfillment for orders placed by 7 p.m. with next working day premium delivery. Merchants must be UK-based and there is a public rate card. The focus for FBT is on streamlining operations for creators and brands. A feedback or rating system is included in the program, which gives the entire system a marketplace quality. I researched TikTok Shop UK fees, which I hadn't done before, and they're about 1.8% for the first 90 days and 5% after that. The United States site for TikTok Shop still says TBD on fees, but this will give you some idea where I think the puck is headed for you brand owners in the audience. 5% is not nothing, but it's cheaper than Amazon and your customer and content dollars are already there. As far as some of my commentary on the deal. While it's easier to launch a fulfillment network in the UK than it is in the US, the US version of FBT does appear to be around the corner. This late timing for the UK may indicate that it could be a post-holiday launch for the US if I had to guess. By naming an FBT, it immediately sets off Amazon comparisons, which may not necessarily be the best thing out of the gate. We see how such comparisons work out for the Shopify fulfillment network. I'm pouring out some liquor right now for the SFN to mourn my lost homie. The TikTok fulfillment service itself has started out quite sophisticated, which to me is a signal that this service is not just a trial and plans to be around for the long term. Day one with multi-warehouse capabilities and the ability to ship different items from different warehouses, this is not normal for a social media network outside of China. The example merchants are influencers and beauty brands to start with. Every single one of the brands included in the case studies, including Beauty Crop, Sumaya, and Natural Sparrow, is a Shopify store. I'm struck by the fact that any order on TikTok shop is an order that cannot take place on Shopify or ShopPay. 
While outwardly, I'm sure Shopify encourages this, inwardly, I suspect this could affect Shopify by slightly diminishing the value of a checkout that can handle the volume of viral drops. Where do you think those viral drops initiate? This will be an interesting space to watch. If I'm an entrepreneur, what does this mean to me? If I want to start an e-commerce business, why don't I just start it on TikTok first and add Shopify later as I grow rather than starting on Shopify first? As an entrepreneur, the biggest risk isn't operations, it's actually the idea risk, which TikTok is where you would go to test this anyway. I'm not saying that either Shopify or TikTok view each other as direct threats, but for an entrepreneur or influencer, there is some element of replacement theory here. So what's the bottom line? At some point, if you have captured all the consumer attention like TikTok has, you are now just coming up with new ways to monetize it. Fulfillment by TikTok is an accelerator for TikTok shop. If the shops themselves aren't having at least some success, this is nonsensical. I have heard at least some anecdotes of success on TikTok shop, and we all understand the power of TikTok for brand awareness, product introduction, and driving sales to a website. Particularly for influencers who care less about their website than social, it could make some sense. For the average brand, I do expect adoption only if there are specialized marketing benefits to justify the additional operational overhead. Our second story, Walmart expands its in-store advertising network. CNBC has an interesting story that mentions Walmart is looking to ramp up its use of ads in its physical store locations. Where will these ads appear? TV and digital display screens in the electronics department and elsewhere. Self-checkout screens. Store radio. Blue light special, anyone? Product samples at store demo stations also. Walmart claims that it can deliver a Super Bowl-sized audience each week to its advertisers in a targeted manner. While not targeted on the consumer level like digital, at least by location and area of the store. We don't have minority report like targeting yet, but we will eventually. Digital ads still deliver less than 1% of overall Walmart revenue, but it's high margin and there is significant room for growth as Walmart ramps up the amount of ad inventory in its stores as well. This new advertising in-store initiative has several benefits for Walmart. It's difficult for competitors, including Amazon, to address because Walmart has such broader reach. It improves the profitability of its stores relative to other grocers like Kroger. The continued growth of Walmart online will continue to give this a nice tailwind. And demo sample stations could even serve as a testing ground or kind of marketplace in stores for new product introductions, though this part is much less scalable. The only reason downside risk is if ads start to interfere too much with their store's experience. It is a well-worn playbook to use another more profitable line of business to reinforce the growth of your primary, lower margin, more mature business. Walmart is starting to lean into this playbook and it's a good move for them. The results will play out in earnings, but given it's all upside for Walmart, this is a fantastic bet for them. You could easily see Walmart as one of the largest digital and physical integrated media platforms in the entire United States in the future. That prospect should worry the rest of the grocery industry, including Amazon. Our third story. UPS Q2 2023 earnings disappoint. Fresh off the heels of closing its negotiations with Teamsters, UPS recorded Q2 2023 earnings. First, the bad news. At the end of 2022, UPS had predicted for 2023 that average daily volume to be between flat in the bull case and down 5% in the bear case. 
In Q1, UPS affirmed the bear case of 5% decline. Well, this quarter, the bear got eaten by a larger bear as U.S. volumes declined almost 10%. By any measure, that is not good. UPS CEO Carol Tomei reports that it's all hands on deck and have stood up a war room or control tower environment to monitor their progress on recovering volumes. The numbers of lost parcels work out to be about a million diverted packages per day and 200 million in sales that diverted due to labor negotiation risks. UPS remains bullish on e-commerce trends in the back half of the year and reversion to pre-COVID volumes, at least in the U.S. As far as U.S. domestic Q2 2023 highlights, revenues declined 6.9% year-over-year to $14.4 billion, accelerating the decline of 0.9% in Q1. Operating profits declined about half due to volume and half due to wages. Operating margin stands at 11.1%, which is more in line with the 11% achieved in Q1 of 2022. 9.9% decrease in average daily volume, although SMB declined less than enterprise. UPS reports that customers shifting volume from air to ground. There was a 3.3% increase in revenue per piece, which slightly offset the average daily volume declines, but obviously this can't last forever. At some point, the volume must return. As far as guidance for the rest of the year, UPS updated their guidance based on results of their recent labor negotiations. Revenue is now expected to be $93 billion with an adjusted operating margin of 11.8%, and they may not recover diverted volume until towards the end of the year. Other commentary that I have is UPS says they lost volume due to Teamsters negotiations, but clearly they lost more than they expected and perhaps both in volume and in salary and benefits. They flew a little close to the sun that it affected their shippers' plans. And they definitely have their work cut out to them to regain given the competitive market and the continued growth of regional and super-regional carriers. UPS CEO Carol Tomei estimated that a third of the volume was lost to FedEx, a third of the volume to USPS, and a third to regional carriers. I do expect them to recover this volume, but a friend of mine, Nate Skyver, reports that how do you recover FedEx volume by December if it's locked up in a year-long contract? It's a good question. UPS CEO Carol Tomei indicated that they keep their pricing discipline, which might indicate that regaining share might take longer than investors expect. Still, even though investors may not want to hear it, disciplined leadership is hard to find these days. Just going back in the time machine for a moment, at the end of 2022, the company had guided between 97 billion and 99.4 billion. The lowered guidance of 93 billion reset clearly indicates that the downward average volume trends got ahead of UPS expectations. The company is leveraging artificial intelligence technology they call NPT, to make changes to their network, planning, and scheduling. This contributed to a 10% decline in hours to offset the volume declines, and it helped hold margins higher. This is typical of efficiency advances. They will flow to everyone, and people begin to take them for granted. Vendors who don't adopt them are often left behind. UPS reported that half of their facilities are now operating with their RFID initiative or smart facility. Deployment will be completed for all facilities by the end of October. Management headcount was reduced by 2,500, continuing a widespread initiative across companies to reduce middle management. Just to give you some comparisons relative to Amazon versus UPS, Amazon spends about four times UPS's worth of fulfillment each year. I continue to think that the fulfillment industry should be worried about a business-to-consumer-oriented independent Amazon transportation and last-mile network that exists outside of FBA, MCF, and their existing offerings. Overall, 
The Teamsters had them over a barrel this cycle, and UPS was in a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation. Too little negotiation, and you give up too much. Too much, and you risk a strike, which UPS, as you can see, they definitely could not afford. All other carriers would have pounced on all UPS customers even more than what happened. In three years' time, this may look cheap for UPS, however, and this raises the bar for all shippers in America. Ultimately, though, UPS may have the last laugh in their cost improvements because they could be pushing more into automation to offset the difference. And our last story. Big Commerce reports Q2 2023 earnings. Over a week ago now, Big Commerce reported their quarterly earnings. And I've said this for a long time. In a world where Shopify does not exist, Big Commerce would be a fine offering. Unfortunately for Big Commerce, we do not live in that world. Despite its enterprise messaging, in previous years, it has not been enterprise enough to take share from bigger players. Instead, the company has focused on scooping up Magento refugees, which in retrospect kind of feels like a miss. And despite the company's SMB roots, it has not captured the entrepreneur's imagination like Shopify has and has focused all its attention further up market. The one area where big commerce has solid and growing market presence is in small to mid-sized B2B manufacturers and distributors who are really not interested in B2C. This is an area which has been totally inaccessible to Shopify and likely will be for at least a little bit, given their other focuses. Even in this B2B market, however, there is a fragmented set of upmarket competitors which puts pressure on them, and the company truly needs to be purchased by someone like a HubSpot in a similar manner to Salesforce purchase demandware and cloud craze in order to have a more complete B2B offering. That, or go in the other direction of an ERP, which could point to an Oracle NetSuite acquisition. In this environment, however, private equity seems like the most likely outcome. As far as the company's 2023 Q2 results, annual recurring revenues grew 12%, or enterprise at 14% year-over-year, to $331 million, compared to 13% growth in Q1. Flat or slight deceleration quarter-over-quarter. Shopify is actually growing about three times faster than that. Enterprise is 71% of annual recurring revenue, off slightly from previous 72%. Enterprise annual revenue per account is up 5% to about 40K, again decelerating from its previous 11% growth, which is another worrying sign. Revenue overall grew 11% year-over-year to 75 million compared to a Q1 growth rate of 9%. The company is operating at a negative 25% net loss. The culprit is 28% of revenue is spent on R&D, Shopify spends 38%, and 47% of revenue spent on sales and marketing. Shopify spends only 19%. This is big commerce's core dilemma. Shopify can afford to innovate more and spend less to acquire customers than big commerce. And this is a somewhat worrying trend for the company long term. Sales must get much more efficient without sacrificing growth. As far as some of my commentary, I would like to see big commerce enterprise annual recurring revenues grow in the 15 to 20% range to keep up with other platforms. They are losing some ground in the replatform wave. Enterprise ARR deceleration feels like attrition up market and not a great sign for the company. And when I say attrition up market, what I really mean is that there are players in the B2B market that I feel are winning business that if they did not exist would go to big commerce. Those players include those like Optimizely, Salesforce, Commerce Tools, Shopware, and Vtex. And more entering the market each day, it seems. It feels to this observer that while there is room for multiple players in the B2B e-commerce, more consolidation will happen in this market as the opportunity continues to expand. 
I'm very positive on the company's recent hiring Stephen Chung as president. Is Mr. Chung the next CEO of Big Commerce, even if Big Commerce stays independent? If I'm Brent Bellum, I may not have been satisfied with my succession plan and the recent deceleration. While certainly Shopify's recent acquisition of Codisto is a feather in BigCommerce's cap regarding its previous purchase of Feedonomics, Feedonomics is a great solution for brands. That said, feed management tends to be a commodity relative to financial and payment-oriented offerings, meaning it's hard to get EBIT leverage from it due to downward pricing pressure from brands. Look, when I analyze earnings, I want to be clear that I'm analyzing earnings here. I'm not evaluating the fitness of the platform for a particular customer's use case. As I mentioned, in the small to mid-market B2B sector, big commerce has broad awareness and applicability and should continue to grow in this segment in particular. It's a solid solution here that should be in your consideration set, and I will continue to recommend it to customers who are the right fit for the solution. That said, I do think they need to continue to invest in their ERP and CRM integrations to gain competitiveness in larger B2B deals. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined other listeners in our online community, you're only getting half the value from this podcast. Our community contains members from all around the world discussing the most interesting topics we cover on the show. Just last week, a few of us were discussing whether eBay's latest plan gives them a solid chance to recover lost market share. You can join the conversation now at community.rmwcommerce.com. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk, including the ability to serve customers. By switching to Commerce Tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, supply chain risk intelligence solution PreWave raises $20 million. The pre-wave solution crawls data sources like global and local news, social media, and other proprietary data sources to find evidence of supplier issues and violations in a company's supply chain. These data sources are then aggregated into global scores that allow a brand or retailer to track their global supply chain risk and compliance over time. Second, consumer loyalty platform Stay AI raises 15 million Series A to help Shopify brands. Stay AI is in a crowded subscription provider space with providers like Recharge and OrderGroove having been in the market for a while. Yatpo having launched a solution itself, and even Shopify has a launch it's launching a native subscription product in the platform itself recently. Third, source-to-pay provider TradeShift raises a $70 million round from HSBC. TradeShift takes a network-based approach to procurement and source-to-pay software and was founded in 2010 by Christian Lang. This is all just a fancy way to say that they help companies manage their supplier relationships better than an alternative provider like SAP Ariba. For the Watsonians out there, you may now know that I actually helped sell a company to TradeShift back in 2015 called Merchantry, company few probably remember at this point. If you're listening to this, now you know. Fourth, retail technology theft prevention tool Everseen raises $70 million. 
Everson looks at the persistent retail problem of shrinkage with an AI and technology lens. The company essentially uses AI analysis of video to spot criminals in retail settings, kind of like self-checkout. Given how prevalent this trend is recently, I do believe this is going to be a popular solution to an unfortunately all-too-common problem. And finally, Supplement's retailer Vitamin Shop taken private in $2.6 billion takeover deal. The company, which has over 3,000 locations in the United States, has been troubled recently as they have reported a series of unprofitable quarters. If the deal goes through, it could close in the second half of this year. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.